Small businesses have the opportunity to learn from professionals and from each other. And bringing those perspectives together is a very important part of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's new podcast series. Welcome to our third episode of Inside the Vault. As many of you know who have listened previously, we've spent the last two episodes discussing COVID-19's impact on the restaurant and hospitality industry. Today, we want to stay on that theme, but expand a bit to talk about unemployment and labor-related trends, both within the restaurant and food service industries, as well as uh, implications for the economy as a whole. As many of you know, restaurants have been among the most devastated of businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic. And actually, as we sit here today on St. Patrick's Day of all days, uh, which is you know, historically would have been a, a, a very strong day for the bar and restaurant business. We hear from PA Lodging and Restaurant Association that 89% of their restaurant operator members are still at staffing levels below that that they experienced prior to the pandemic, which started in March of last year. So we want to discuss statistics around unemployment. We want to talk about what we expect to see in terms of short-term trends related to leadership response to the pandemic and stimulus legislation, as well as some longer-term implications for labor from lessons learned during this pandemic. Sitting down with me today uh, is Chuck Lai, our president and CEO, uh, who you've heard from in uh, prior episodes, to give his perspective from an from a overall bank perspective and his clients in both the bank and accounting industries. Sitting also with me today is Doug Locker, who is an operator of a number of family-owned restaurant businesses in our region. So I hope to give you those two different perspectives today so that you can get a better understanding of what employment may look like in these industries going forward. Well, thank you for being here today, gentlemen. I would like to start out talking about statistics, numbers. We all see them on the news. Unfortunately, we often see these numbers reported on a macro basis. Give you some context. Today's national unemployment rate at the end of February was 6.2%, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Pennsylvania state unemployment rate, which, which lags a couple of months in terms of reporting, was 6.7%. But we all know, per our prior discussions, that we have industry-specific trends that are either above the norm or below the norm in terms of performance, and including in terms of their employment. So what I'm hoping to get a little sense from uh, you guys today, particularly we'll start with Doug, who is involved day-to-day -day in, in a franchise restaurant business, what are you seeing in terms of unemployment in the local restaurant business pre-post pandemic? I mean, it's had a definite and uh, negative impact. I mean, we were eligible for the first round of PPP, so obviously that caused us to examine the number of full-time equivalent and uh, total employees pre-pandemic and then also post, and then we looked at it again here for the second round. All types of employment, full and part-time pre-pandemic, we had a total uh, employee count of all types of around 60 employees over two restaurants. Okay. The full-time equivalents were roughly half of that number. Uh, you know, post-pandemic, uh, that number had dropped to 40 total. 
and the uh, full-time equivalents uh, had dropped below 20. Our businesses are both dine-in. Uh, we do carry out and delivery as well and have drive-through windows. So it's a pretty safe assumption if you looked at the change. It came in the wait staff and service uh, levels, you know, in store. The back of the house, some management was lost over it, uh, shift management mostly, and the heaviest uh, toll was on the uh, tip staff, you know, or wait staff. Mm -hmm. So we were able to retain those that were uh, in the core kitchen operations uh, and those that were tending to customers on a delivery carryout or drive-through basis only. And, and I know, Chuck, you and I have had the discussion, you know, we see these press releases and we see news articles on a monthly basis and they're touting either, you know, reductions in incremental unemployment, but they're not telling the full story. Again, those are kind of kind of macro-based things. You know, when you look at statistics, depending upon what kind of detail you get into, you can distort what's going on. You know, when I was in uh, school, I was taught that 6% was the optimum unemployment because at that level, there were still qualified people that you could you could hire that could do the job that were properly trained. When it got much below that, it was very hard to get people. So when I hear a national rate being 6.2, I don't look at that as a terrible thing uh, like I seem to hear in, in public a lot. That's really at the stage where a business has a hard time starting to find good people when it gets much below that. However, if you look underneath the detail, you see that the restaurant industry has unemployment that's up there in the 20% range, give or take, depending upon what segment you're at. It could be greater, could be a tad less. I mean, that's devastating. That That is definitely being hit. And that's why you get into some discussions and and the political areas say aid should be focused on the areas that are hurt and not into these other areas that are obviously very hot because if the overall is 6.2, and the restaurant industry is 20, well, then somebody else has to be much below mm -hmm. 6.2 in order to get that average to move that way. So sometimes segments are very strong. So that's something that I think when you're looking at discussion, you get into the detail of it uh, to really get a good picture of what's going on. And to further that point, uh, in our restaurant situations, uh, we've essentially been closed down for dine-in business virtually since the beginning of the pandemic. And as we're sitting here today, we're still closed down. Uh, despite the fact that the state, in theory, relaxed the, the uh, occupancy levels to 50%, and it's uh, reported that in a few more weeks they'll go up to 75 The misnomer there is that 50% and 75% mean of your total uh, seating capacity. When you apply the uh, social distancing requirements, as well as the other measures the, the Department of Health and the CDC require to be followed, it's not 50% or 75%. We, learned early on in the pandemic, 50% capacity with those other restrictions was not viable or profitable uh, to open our dining rooms for the, the public. So Doug, you alluded to it a few, a few minutes ago, uh, the governor's going to start easing restrictions on, on the bar and restaurant business effective April 4th. But one of the concerns that's out in the marketplace right now, I mean, here's a, here's a recent article from this week from WPXI, uh, restaurant operators are concerned, yeah, we're able to open up, but we still have not only consumer fear, but we may not be able to get these people back. You know, there's issues around um, 
the availability of the laborer in light of unemployment benefits that are being received. There's a comment in this article that, you know, one employer said he has plenty of people to work for them if they willing, if the employer is willing to pay under the table. So that, you know, their unemployment benefits uh, are not adversely affected. So what, how easy or hard do you think it's going to be to get people back? Well, I think it's going to be a, a, a challenge in a whole number of areas. Again, as you appropriately point out, um, there's heavy unemployment in the restaurant industry, and therefore there's a lot of unemployed restaurant workers that are receiving regular unemployment benefits as well as the extra $300 a week that's part of the current package. Since quite a bit of that labor, uh, picking on our own restaurants, I, it indicated what our employment levels have dropped to, it's pretty safe for you to assume those are all full-time people now. So we're going to be out trying to recruit some additional full-time, but mostly trying to get our part-time people back. And they're part-time workers by choice, not by uh, circumstances. And competing with that extra $300 a week in a starting wage is going to be very difficult to entice employees to come back to work. The federal minimum wage as the state follows it, seven and a quarter has kind of been a irrelevant number for quite some time in our industry. Uh, it's virtually impossible, even pre-pandemic, to hire quality staff, you know, at the federal minimum wage level. There's been a lot made of, you know, raising it. Uh, truth be told, it's been raised a long time ago. Question is, is in a practical matter. Yeah, one of the comments in this article was, you know, one of the restaurant owners said that, or she said that, you know, probably the best solution is they're just going to have to up their wage rates to try to get people off of uh, unemployment and, if, and, have, and give them incentive to come back. And if you believe that most of those part-time employees were at the federal minimum wage, that would probably be a valid comment. But there is virtually no one in our restaurants, except maybe in their first week of work, to make sure they're going to stick yeah. that's at the minimum federal minimum wage. Right. So understanding that to be the case and again other chain restaurants mcdonald's and others are starting most of their employees at ten dollars an hour throw the three hundred dollars a week on uh, that unemployment is is affording over and above they're making much more than that you know sitting on the sidelines right. so attracting work back at even ten dollars an hour when the extra 300 a week is out there is very challenging yeah but beyond the unemployment you know, disincentive as well. Chuck, do you think there's really some true displacement of labor related to people having to find other vocations? We, we are, I think there's a, a conceptual struggle going on right now relating to unemployment. You know, uh, for us old people, you know, unemployment, which I think all of the population got behind this program, was was designed to help somebody who lost their job, and while they were looking for another one and temporarily unemployed, we were helping them so they kept a roof over their heads and the food and they didn't lose their home or whatever the case is. But if you look at what's happened to this program, it has turned into almost like uh, a secondary source of employment for people. You know, if you're in the, if you're in the uh, landscaping business, you know, you're, it's a seasonal business. These people don't work, in the north at least, from say November through March. Well, and the same with a lot of the outdoor construction. Well, these people have learned that what they do is they work 
during the year and then they go to unemployment and that's their supplemental income during the off season and that's it's evolved from its original intent and then that is now started to evolve when you have the federal government go in and actually pay the amount of money that they paid during this covid time period to help people well they've taken it to such levels that now people are deciding, well, I, I don't want to come back to work. I, I want to stay on this. And even leadership isn't really doing what they're supposed to do because if you follow the law, if you're offered a job, you don't get to have unemployment. But as you know, in our state, our governor was asked that directly, and his response was not, well, that's against the law. You have to go back to work if, if your job is reinstated. His answer was, well, if they don't want to come back, you have to give them a raise. Well, I'm sure that was a slip up, and but but it shows culturally how our mindsets are changing relative to this program. This was there as a temporary fix. And this is all becoming, as the culture changes as to what unemployment is, the whole, the whole thing gets turned upside down. In the bank right now, we have a construction company that helps us fix up properties so that we don't leave them in the community in a blighted place when we're reselling them. We currently, for months, have posted jobs, construction jobs, where you don't have to pre-knowledge, pre-education, you just come in to work and show up on time. You get $17 an hour, so that's a $34,000 a year salary, effectively. You get health care, you get 401k, you get an ESOP retirement plan, and nobody's applying for the job. We can't get people to apply for this job. Now, that if, if you sit down and you look at the 6 o'clock news and it says there's huge unemployment out there and things are terrible, how can that be? There's a real disconnect going on here and what people aren't getting is in our country, there's people that balance lifestyles. They have different desires and ways to live their life. Some people are driven to make more money, work harder, and to grow. Other people are not. They need food and shelter, and then they're doing something that like, they, they like. You know, I have uh, friends whose children are out of school, and they have four-year degrees, and they're very capable, and they're really good kids, but right now what they want to do is they want to guide on the river, <laughs> and they want to be a ski instructor in the wintertime. Now, I'm sure if you look at their income stream, they're like close to poverty. And they're going to get this aid. And you know where that aid's going to go? In a savings account, because they like living this way. Yes. And so you've got a group of people like that, and then you've got a group of people that really do need help. And, and, and you put that together with a program that's supposed to be a temporary program and not a long-term program, and everything is getting mixed. We're not sending good policy, good signals through. And it's creating a really tough time in business because we are having a hard time recruiting people now. At the same time, you've got politicians trying to support people that makes it even harder to recruit people. And you're not letting people come into the country. Those immigration has been shut down. So that workforce that likes to work physically and work hard is right. being slowed down or shut down. And it's screwing up supply chains. It's, it, the restaurant industry will not come back like it did. They're going to have a very hard time getting people, and so are a lot of other people. Whether you're a pool installer, whether you're a landscaper, whether you're in the restaurant industry, finding people is the hardest thing to do right now. And yet there's a complete disconnect 
in leadership that they don't get it. So, Doug, you brought up the topic of minimum wage. And as we as you, we all know, the the government's pushing hard for an increase in, in the overall minimum wage, even though from a practical standpoint, it might not be as dramatic as it looks on paper for some of the, uh, the reasons mm-hmm. that, that, that you talked about. But how do you expect that minimum wage increases is going to affect employment? And you can talk specifically about your employee base and then more so, I want to talk about, is this really the right time from an economic standpoint to, to really be pushing this initiative? But give us a little feedback on how you think minimum wage may affect your restaurant. Sure. In, the, in our specific restaurant type, I mean, we have, a, a, as I alluded to earlier, we have a fairly significant amount of you know, part-time employees, and again, by choice, not, not by their circumstances. You know, when minimum wage gets pushed up to such high levels, there's an investment an employer makes in the employees in the way of ret- retention. Uh, Chuck alluded to benefits and other things. Clearly, you want to do those with, with good, talented employees uh, to retain them. Well, much of our labor force in our restaurants are students, high school, you know, uh, all the way into college. And they're not working with us with the intent of making that their career. It's very difficult then for a business like ours and many restaurants you know, to pay the minimum wage along with the other costs of employment to uh, at those high levels to temporary employees, meaning they're only going to be working for us while they're attending the university or other short-term means. So it's going to likely force business like ours to actually get away from part-time employment uh, certainly pay a better wage, but, but retain and recruit uh, higher quality, more permanent employees. Um, in most communities, ours is no exception. There's a significant labor pool that the part-time job suits their needs. They're trying to advance their education, their career supplement you know, uh, uh, in the way of a second income. Going to make that much more difficult you know, to accomplish in the type of restaurant operation we have. So it could have a disparate impact, like in your case, you're in a college town. So it could have a more significant impact in an area like that, where there is such a predominance of student or part-time labor. It it, it, it will. And again, okay. there, there are other restaurant types, so obviously in our market, like most, uh, gonna have a similar effect on many of them, uh, reducing the potential opportunities for part-time labor uh, because of the investment and the cost. Yeah. So the timing of this whole thing, Chuck, your thoughts on, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic and we still got certain industries that are, that are hurting. Is this really the right time to be pushing a minimum wage increase? Well, whenever there's a wage adjustment to your cost structure, it, it has an effect. Obviously, it either you raise prices or it hurts your bottom line. Uh, both of those options are going to be very challenging to do if you're in an industry that's just been hit with COVID and you've been hurt. If you're in an industry that hasn't been and you're one of those ones that hit the ball out of the park, this is not going to be an issue for them at all. Again, these responses are all going to be targeted based on certain situations. But for restaurant industry, hotel industry, a lot of the industries where COVID-19 did have a dramatic effect, you don't have the option to come in here and change your pricing structure in two seconds. You're lucky to have the working capital to get in there and open your doors back up again when you have the chance. And what you forget is in the real world, this is a competitive world. If I need somebody, I have to pay up more. 
people then come. Then somebody else pays more to pull them someplace else. That's competition that drives. That's why you heard me five minutes ago say the bank is offering $17 an hour for somebody that wants to come in and has no experience whatsoever to work in the construction team, and they're going to get full fringe benefits and everything else. And nobody's applying for the jobs other than somebody who has some kind of a track history that they, they don't, they're not dependable to come into work. And so we don't have good people coming in, and we're, at, we're way beyond even where they want to raise minimum wage to. So there's, there's, we're, we're trying to make something simple by everybody's lifestyle will pick up by making this adjustment when that's not the reality. And, and when you do these things, you increase the wage structure, well, business will adjust. It will automate more, so there'll be less jobs. There's a lot of different ways to operate. Just raising minimum wage as the nirvana to fix things is just not having it real experience in business to understand common sense tells you that's not to fix we're in a competitive society that's not going to change anything except shock a bunch of people out of business and shock some cost to raise prices and then it'll adjust and ultimately then prices cost of living changes people's lifestyle then they need more and more there's a competitive productivity aspect that you can't get rid of so we've all seen you know some extreme changes in in employment conditions, how people were working, teleworking during the course of the pandemic. And I think we can all agree that some of that will stick, you know, on a more permanent basis. So I'm interested from an employment perspective, let's let's talk about the restaurant business. What do you see permanently changing from an employment perspective? Well, I think uh, there's going to be a push in certainly the restaurant segment we're in. We were fortunate to be able to somewhat pivot and do the you know the carryout uh, delivery and drive-through business. There's going to be a much bigger emphasis on that. Uh, that's going to restrain employment because that's back of the house in production uh, versus the you know front of the front of the house wait staff. Um, uh, while many restaurants, ours included right now, are going to find it difficult because of the physical size to reduce tables and things of that sort. The restrictions are going to do that, but if we get back to normal, I don't see seating capacities going back to the levels they were in most, if not all, dine-in situations. So moving forward, I think you're going to see the physical facilities of many restaurants shrink as to the dine-in. Kitchen capacity probably increases, but I think the net trade-off is a loss of jobs. You think well, the net between servers versus cooks, there, there will be a net loss? There'll be, I believe there'll be a net loss, uh, you know, overall, you know, and, and that trend, I believe, really is already showing itself during the pandemic and will continue to prove itself going forward. So, Chuck, you're running a financial institution, obviously. Um, so it's, you know, white-collar workforce. Um, there's some statistics I have that obviously, you know, white-collar workers have more flexibility in how they work. Uh, particularly versus a restaurant employee because it's a person-to-person, in normal times, a person-to-person service-based businesses. So what what do you see changing in terms of how people work, you know, not just here at the bank, but in the office environment in general? You know, we, we kind of look at that. Obviously, um, working from home is a possibility in this type of business, unlike construction or other businesses where it's fit, where it's physical. I know there's huge discussions where we need to shift to go home, cut overhead. Uh, I personally don't see the productivity 
gains from shifting to home. There's a sharing of information, working as a team that is more productive when you're close and you're able to touch, feel, communicate. It's like having a Zoom meeting is not the same as sitting across the table with somebody. Uh, even your communication skills, you know, body communication, your face communication, in addition to your verbal communication, sometimes send different messages than just listening to audio. When you're having a group meeting, the creativities, the camaraderie, those things typically generate a productivity uh, synergy where you, when you come together, one plus one gives you more than two. Um, I'm not sure I see that same kind of productivity level when people are working at home individually and then trying to share information and co coordinate. It doesn't work as smoothly. I think people are going to have to sort out from a productivity mm -hmm. perspective where their comfort zone is with that gained productivity versus the increased cost of having overhead to, to bring everybody together. And, and I think that differs from industry to industry, but I, I don't think it's going to be, as you've heard, you almost hear people react like say, oh, everybody's going to be working at home now because we, we worked, this worked fine. Well, it, it's not working fine for a lot of businesses. They know they're not efficient. They know they're having problems. Work's not getting out the door the way it used to. Some of these people, there'll be a value to come back. Now, where the specific parameters shake out to be, where the efficiencies cause the businesses and industry to migrate, I think we're going to have to see. And I think we're all going to be doing a lot of learning. I mean, even when it comes to COVID and what was the right way to react to this. I mean, you just hear, you know, and, and not to comment upon Democrats or Republicans, for, for, for the most part, you, you see the Republican mindset is political leaders open up, open up, business takes priority. And they, they're moving in that direction versus the shut down, shut down, and health takes priority. And, and obviously, we know in the real world, there's a balance. And so you start to look for examples as to where what creates the best balance. You know, if you look to Florida, Florida, that Republican governor opened up a lot. And you heard him criticized all the time in the news. California, the very opposite. Now you're looking at it. They both have had a year and they've done what they've done. The numbers for deaths and sicknesses, they're almost the same. So people will look at these kind of things and hopefully learn from it. I mean, this isn't a political comment. You, you look and if you're a good leader, you look and say, what happened? What did I do? And how can I learn from it and improve? I think in business and hopefully in leadership, they're all going to do this. And a lot of there's going to be changes, but the settlements we have to see. It's going to show now in the next year or so where we evolve. I mean, you have a real push for people that Amazon's going to take care of everything. You're not going to go shop anymore. It's going to come. Well, all, use your common sense. If you went to a store and you did all the work to buy versus somebody else did all the work, they picked the product, they delivered the product, they brought it to your house. You didn't drive anywhere. You didn't do anything. They just brought it there. And you think that's going to be the same cost as you going out to do it? it? It can't be in the long term. There's more costs associated with the complete personal service than there is a different type of you doing part of the work yourself. Now, at some point in time, that will all shake out through the profit and losses of the businesses and everything will shake out to to uh, an equilibrium that makes sense. And so I think we're going to see in the next year a lot of these things shake out. But the exact amount, I don't think anybody knows for sure now. We're all kind of looking at this individually and seeing how this has affected us. 
and then we're going to evolve. And hopefully leadership on a national level does the same, although we all know the partisan effect. Instead of keeping an open mind to see what you did wrong and fix it, most people get defensive and try to protect, justify what they did instead of making a positive change. I hope we have better leadership than that, and it grows from that. And the same in the private industry. So, Chuck, in terms of things shaking out over time as we come out of the pandemic, one of those issues that I'm really interested to see how it shakes out, and I think the bank is too, uh, is commercial real estate uh, and what the effects of changes in work habits and, and employment, particularly in the office sector, might have on that. So, Doug, I'm going to ask you to put another add on very quickly which is your hat of owning a real estate brokerage. What do you see in terms of uh, the future of commercial real estate? And we're going to obviously focus on this in detail in a future podcast episode, but give us a teaser. Sure, real briefly, Dave. Uh, there are like industries that, that we're talking about today, there are going to be winners and losers in commercial real estate. And to help your tease, uh, the office market is going to uh, probably be a struggle but there are other segments like warehousing and distribution that are uh, going to be extremely strong, at least for the foreseeable future. So as I mentioned, we're going to get into greater depth on this topic in the future, but suffice it to say, employment trends, things we've learned, things coming out of the pandemic are going to look different in a lot of different industries. And we hope to give you some of that insight as we move forward with Inside the Vault. Thank you very much for listening, and please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on all your popular social media and podcast platforms. And if you have any questions or any suggestions for future episode topics, please email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Thank you.